Hey guys, welcome to episode 40 of The True Crime Couple. I'm Kay. And I'm John. So at the top of the show, like we always do, we want to thank our listeners again. We got a lot of great feedback on that last episode, the Brobergs. And we just kind of wanted to talk about that episode a little bit before we got into episode 40. I, as well as John, was incredibly frustrated by that story. And it was difficult to research. It was difficult to tell. And it's difficult to hear on your part. And we just want to let you know that, of course, we were upset at the Broberg family for allowing what happened to Jan to happen for as many years as it did. But our goal on this podcast is always to give you the facts. We don't want to project our opinions or our feelings onto you, the listener. We want to do all of the research that we can give you all of the facts that are available. And then we love having conversations with you about it. And we really got to do that with episode 39 with the crazy story from the Brobergs. We enjoyed talking to everyone and hearing what everyone else felt and realizing that everyone was just as frustrated as we were. Because I promise you, the way you guys all reacted was the way we were reacting the first time. (laughs) Yeah, um, except there was more F-bombs in there. Yeah, definitely. I was pissed. (laughs) I always get so mad when I just see things that are completely, like, just in plain sight. Like, oh, this is what it is. And then everybody just kind of, like, skirts around the whole entire problem. Yeah. It's kind of annoying. (laughs) And that seemed to happen a lot in the last episode. But we really do appreciate having conversation with our listeners. And that's what we're here to do. Just bring you the facts. Not push anything on to you guys. We're glad that you appreciate us doing things that way. And we want to keep doing it. The iTunes reviews this week were also really great. Everyone was really friendly. iTunes is doing this new thing where they are revolving, I guess, the reviews. But the reviews that get revolved for us are always like the worst ones ever. So they're the first. So some reviews are like, I don't understand why everyone's being so negative in these reviews. Us either. But they are. So It's true. It's very weird. It's like, um, it, it's like they pretty much took all of the like maybe the first 20 comments that were ever put up there like the meanest ones the worst ones like the one where like people were saying that you were like drinking milk as you were talking weird yeah that was just mean (laughs) people were just like putting like really weird shit up there and it was so funny because it was all about you and not me and i'm like well, you you love that oh i do but at the same time i'm like the worst sometimes i stutter it's always hard to do a podcast and we appreciate all the great reviews and it was our biggest patreon month that we've ever had we got 17 new patreons And we appreciate every cent, whether it was a dollar or $15, that they donated. And if you want to join them and help us with our Patreon subscriptions, you can do that at patreon.com slash truecrimecouple. If you are a Patreon donator, you would get six episodes right now, updates on past stories, and a few personal stories from John and I. So we would love you to support us that way if you can. If not, another great thing you can do is support our sponsors. So our sponsors this week are FabFitFun, Robinhood, and Vistaprint. And they're all great for the holiday season, but we'll tell you a little bit more about them as the show goes on. I also wanted to just throw out there that a lot of people reached out via social media, whether it was Twitter, Instagram. Some people sent emails, whether it was on Patreon or to truecrimecouple at Gmail. And it's just been a really crazy few weeks a month we have sick family members we both were sick that's why this episode's delayed 
because I was so sick I couldn't even talk. It was pretty bad. It really did sound like I drank a gallon of milk then. Yeah. <laughs> and we just wanted to postpone so my voice was better. It's it's still a little raspy, but I think it should be okay. And I will get back to you ASAP. We were just kind of down and out for a little bit, but we're back now. All right, so let's just get into this episode. Trying to understand the thoughts and actions of a teenager is probably one of the most difficult things to do in the world. At this age, the brain of a teenager is under a constant state of construction based on their current needs and the experiences that they're going through. Now, this, coupled with the influence of massive new hormonal messages, make them extremely compulsive and very easily manipulated. This behavior is most reflected through the time teenagers spend online. In today's case, it's this false sense of security on the internet that leads to one death and two convictions. Police say the suspect, 31-year-old Jeffrey Dahmer, has confessed to the killings of 11 people whose remains were found in his apartment. We are all evil in some form or another, are we not? Lock your doors, lock your windows. If you have the ability to provide additional security devices, then by all means do so. Cruz Wellwood is a skinny 16-year-old boy. And in 2009, his brown hair was worn greasy and long, hanging over his eyes. Wellwood liked hiding his eyes. They were uneven, his left eye smaller than his right. The boy resided in the suburb of Langford, which is located in Victoria, British Columbia. Wellwood has an interesting history. His father was serving a life sentence without the possibility of parole for 15 years. The man was found guilty of the brutal rape and murder of a 16-year-old girl. Without the influence of a positive male role model and limited restrictions, Wellwood found himself following the same road his father had. By the time he was 16, he had a long arrest history, which mostly consisted of marijuana charges and one instance of stealing money from a mailbox. Wellwood, feeling uncomfortable in his everyday life, thrived online, like a lot of teenagers do. He had a blog which he posted various pieces about the video games that he played. However, there was one in particular that would later make everyone feel really uncomfortable. It was called The Early Warning Signs of a Serial Killer. In it, he listed all the common traits of individuals who were serial killers. Among them was animal abuse, fixation with fire, abandonment by their fathers, and an intense interest in sadomasochistic porn. We cannot say anything about someone making a blog about serial killers, though, because, after all, this is uh, episode 40 of the True Crime Couple podcast. So it has nothing to do with the fact that he's into serial killers. I'm super into serial killers, like, weirdly into serial killers. So it's not his interest in serial killers that's eye-opening about this blog what's eye-opening is that he is picking the traits of all of these men that he also has himself so it's basically his announcement that he feels like he will eventually become a serial killer that's what's strange about the blog not a fascination with serial killers as a society we we really do 
Another thing that really gets people is that at the end of the blog, he's going to say the following. The peculiar thing is I meet all 14 criteria. Apparently, though, meeting all criteria makes it unlikely for the subject to be a serial killer. I suppose only time will tell. That's a very strange thing to put up there. Yeah. You know what it reminds me of? Do you remember like back in the day, like with like MySpace or like even Facebook when it first came out? Or even probably still today, like how it has like those like questionnaires. <laughs> like, are you this? Or are you a are serial you, killer? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So like, it's almost like he's doing like <laughs> a stupid like quiz. Yeah, I think you know he also, I mean? he seems to do things for shock value. So I think that that's kind of what this is too. Yeah, and like you could post your results. It's almost like he's doing one of those and then you like post your results. Yeah, it's like nobody really like, cares. Nobody cares, dude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so before Wellwood's behavior will get him expelled from public school because it does. He met a very interesting friend. In fifth grade art class, he's going to bond with another student over how much they hated their mean art teacher. This boy's name is Cameron Moffat. As time went on, the two boys developed a very interesting friendship. The two will spend all of their time in school together, and when they're not in school, they spend their time online together playing the game World of Warcraft. And this brotherly relationship, as they call it, was tested when Wellwood was kicked out of school because of his behavior. His only option at graduating high school was an alternative school called Pacific Secondary School, a high school for students with special needs or needing an alternative for graduation. In order to go to this school, you have to meet many requirements, and there has to be a lot of I don't know if it's the same in Canada as in the United States, but a lot of documentation needs to exist for you to enter an alternative school. So obviously, his behavior had been well documented for many years for him to have to go to this school. The two were able to stay close by cutting classes together, smoking pot on a well-known hiking trail by the schools, and after school, continuing to play WoW. Now, these two friends were a very interesting pair. If a novelist were to have created their existence and friendship, his editor would be screaming at him that it's all too cliche. Like, that's just what these two were. The biggest cliche of a small, smart kid, and then, like, kind of, like, his heavy sidekick that's, like, stupid and dumb. Like, the brains and the brawn. Like, that was these two. So it's actually kind of like the movie Superbad. You know, it's like those two kind of, except, except weird. with murder. Yeah, with yeah. Mur- weirdness and murder. Yeah. Yes. Um, so where Wellwood was wiry and intelligent, Moffat, like I said, was brooding and of low intelligence is how he's described. Moffat was diagnosed with ADHD, leaving him in his teen years with an inability to focus and pay attention. He also had symptoms of increased hyperactivity and impulsivity, and that's going to be a bad thing while being around Wellwood. Wellwood seemed to easily understand and think that he was above the social situations of teenagers. Moffat had a problem understanding what the social situation even was. So Wellwood thought of himself as this mastermind. He's smarter than everyone in the room, and he's running the game. Whereas Moffat was always 10 steps behind Wellwood. That makes sense. Yeah. You always kind of have that 
you know, two people, those two personalities gravitate towards each other. Oh, absolutely. It happens yeah. all the time. That's why I was like, what a cliche. These yeah. two are. So when reading pages of conversations and texts between the two boys and those they interacted with in school and online, the dynamics of their friendship became quite clear. Wellwood was the dominant figure and the other a subservient follower. And that is what these two boys were. And this was illustrated through their online and in-person interactions. Wellwood was dating many girls at the time. Uh, A few were online through, wow, World of Warcraft. And there was one in person, but he seemed to like constantly be rotating through girlfriends. There was not one girl who would date him for long amounts of time, which, you know, like in teenager speak means like months, like a month is like a long time of dating. Yeah, you know, that's yeah. how it Remember that's how when you would do like, downhill. it's our three month anniversary. Remember when you yeah, would do stuff like, like that? Okay. Well, now we think it's stupid, but it was like <laughs> monumentous when you were in high school. We lasted three months. Despite this fact, he still makes it a point to interfere and try and steal every girl away from Moffat. So even though he has plenty of girlfriends, anytime someone shows interest in his friend, he always makes that girl like him. That's that power play between the two. Wellwood would always make Moffat feel inferior in everything they did, whether it was drinking, doing drugs, or the online games they played. And I know it sounds silly, but to a teenager, this is really a big deal. Always feeling inferior to your friends is is bad. I mean, even as an it adult, hurt his ego. even as an adult, it wouldn't be a good thing. Exactly. Now, you know what I mean? I mean, if you think about it, if you, you know, these are supposed to be your friends, you consider them as such, you know, and you think that you can be yourself around them. And right. in some cases, in some groups of friends, you can't. Makes, like, makes one or two friends alienated from the rest of the group. It happens even as an adult. So, like, you know, this no, happens. I know. I completely agree. Now, what's so interesting about this case, and one of the main reasons why I picked it, was because of the backdrop of this story is that the two boys play WoW together. World of Warcraft? Yes. And John loves... Well, I mean, like, you don't really play anymore, but you used to be, like, super into WoW. Yes. So, very... In short, I played for, like, I want to say 13 years. Yeah. It was an intense dedication. Yes. I played for a very long time. I will put a picture up on Instagram. (laughs) I played for a very long time, and uh, just like in this case, I played with all of my friends. So uh, I feel like I can sort of kind of relate, except the murder aspect. No, yeah, no murders (laughs) took place. But I will say that I had to read, and it was just so amazing. There was such a wealth of information on this because there were pages and pages of transcripts that happened over WoW chat. And it's so funny because I knew some of this stuff because of you playing WoW. But the dynamics that you went through with your friends in joining different guilds and like groups of people together. There's so much drama on WoW and like people liking each other and no, you're not allowed to play with this person or you have to play this character or who's got the best armor. Like it's a drama filled world. And I, even though I didn't play WoW, was obsessed with the drama in John's WoW world. Like I'd be like, oh my God, is she so mad at this person? And is this person not talking? And you guys left the guild and... It's it's really it was kind crazy. of exciting. Yeah, you know, you know, it's it's really insane. You know, you have all these cliques coming together to be a part of. I'll I'll say clan, 
just because like you know it's another way of it's saying clan speak. or guild okay. so like, it's a guild clan same thing but like within your clan you have all these little cliques of people who are friends with each other and you know everyone has to come together in order to accomplish stuff so when you have a couple of cogs in the wheel that don't really work out it causes lots of uh issues like there was some of the most intense drama that i've ever heard in my life and like a woman who was married but was like trying to like get with all like the guys that was she was talking to strange. on wow i love that was that like, was so um, exciting when we, that was happening we used to call people like that wow groupies i know it's not the nicest thing but no. that's kind of what they were called well i felt like in reading the transcripts that wellwood and moffitt definitely played with a lot of people like that and there was always this crazy drama going on with their World of Warcraft world, and it was started by Wellwood. Like, he created all of this drama. He always had to be in charge, and Moffat always had to back him up. But he was extremely aggressive in his online world. And where Wellwood thought he was so smart and so intelligent and in control, Moffat kind of just did everything he said. Even though, and I know it sounds so lame, Moffat had better, like, stats with everything, with every online video game he had. But Wellwood never acknowledged that. And I know it from their transcripts back and forth. Moffat wouldn't even bring up to Wellwood that he was doing better, but Wellwood would always make him a point to tell him that he was only doing well because he was there. Right. So, like, he always had to make him feel inferior, no matter what was happening, Wellwood had to run the show, and Moffat had to kind of sit back. Now, really quickly, just to kind of end that, but, you know, Mm -hmm. just give the audience a bit of background. Um, So, it's a massive multi-online game, and they're MMOs, for short. And pretty much anything you want to achieve in that game is a grind. Imagine, like, you need to play probably, like, eight to nine hours a day to pretty much achieve almost everything to do in the game. That's and, what John doesn't play anymore. Yeah, and there's no end to the game. So, like, you're you're just trying to be the best at your class of hero, and you're trying to make your hero the best it could possibly be, but there is no end. So it's like a constant, like, grind to get better. Mm-hmm. So, like, I'm sure that, like, there's a lot, there's always competition between players. Yeah. So, especially in this case, you could see how, like, if, even if one was truly better than the other at that well, present time. Yeah, just had more stuff. But yeah. it was also in other games that they played. Like, Wellwood would always assert his dominance over Moffat. Right. So, thank you for that World of Warcraft synopsis. Yeah, and I'd try. That was really nice. I'm sure there'll be more later on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, this is a relationship that we've seen before in duos that kill together. We saw it with the Homolkas, another Canada-killing duo. Leonard Lake and Charles Ng are another great example of this power struggle and need of acceptance, like the seeking of acceptance from one to the other. And in my research, I found that one-fifth of all serial killers that obviously have been caught do so in duos. That's a larger number than I expected to see. And the more I read into what the psychological profile of partner killers is, is the more I'm able to make connections between Wellwood and Moffat. I'm going to read you a part of an article that I got from Psychology Today. When it comes to killer duos, one is invariably a dominant figure who looks for someone deeply insecure, 
often exploiting youth, neediness, mental instability, or low intelligence. And this is according to Eric Hickey, a forensic psychologist and the author of Serial Murderers and Their Victims. And in his analysis of more than 500 serial killer teams, each had one person who maintained psychological control and dominance over the other. And this is definitely what has developed between these two boys. The murderous duo relationship is characterized by a strong interdependence in which both parties need something critical from the other. The dominant person needs the follower's total loyalty in order to validate himself. And the subservient follower needs the power and authority of the dominant person so he can attempt to become that person's shadow or to mirror that dominant personality, whether it's in their ethics or in their beliefs. Each receives justification from each other. So they, one isn't dependent on the other, they're interdependent on each other. And that's the develop, that's the relationship that developed since they were children between Wellwood and Moffat. It's very interesting. Yeah, it is. It's very interesting. And I think it's also interesting to think about it from a parent perspective. Wellwood and Moffat came from two families where the parents weren't really as involved as maybe they should have been. But if you are a parent who is on top of things and you see your child in this relationship with a friend or maybe even a partner... It's hard to say you got to stop that. Like no teenager will ever be cut off from somebody. So even if they did have parents that said, okay, you guys have to stop being friends. I don't think that would have happened. They would have found their way back to each other anyway. I mean, really, Moffat is going to get kicked out of his school so he could go be at Pacific Secondary with Wellwood. That's they, crazy. Yeah, they need each other. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely there's definitely a dependency there. You can see it. Yeah, because this situation of the shadowing of personalities, like I said before from that book, it's extremely dangerous because Wellwood was showing signs of being a sexual sadist. So if Moffat, with his impulsivity and his size and his low intelligence, is trying to mirror that, it's going to be extremely dangerous. And that's what happens. So when Moffat was young, of course, he was misbehaving. And every night he would jump out of his bedroom window to meet up with friends, Wellwood, and to just run away. And when he would run away, he would go to Wellwood's house. His parents eventually had to put bars on his windows. And after he got older, his bad behaviors are only going to increase with the more time he spends with Wellwood. He began to refuse counseling or take the medication prescribed to him for his ADHD. He was fighting with his parents more and more and lashing out and yelling at them. He began to cut himself to relieve his stress. This shows the enormous pressure that he was under, probably from a lot of different angles at this point, including his friend. There was also an incident at his high school involving a knife where he found to have, he brought a knife to class and he was showing other students. And Moffat later is going to reveal that the only reason he brought a knife to school and was showing people and was telling people that he was cutting himself was because he wanted to get sent to Pacific Secondary to be with Cruz Wellwood. 
Which is crazy. Like, I mean, it's it, only school. Like, yeah. I mean. But he needs to be with him. It's almost 24/7. like they're in a relationship. It's almost like they're in a relationship. Yeah. That's, I mean, it is crazy, but at the same time, I mean, based on their personalities, I could see why. Yes. 100%. You know? Okay, guys, let's take a break to hear from our first sponsor, FabFitFun. This seasonal subscription box service is amazing, and the winter box is finally here. I think this has been my favorite box yet. You can treat yourself to acupuncture jade roller or an amazing cool block throw from Mark and Graham, a hydrogel mask, or a Thrive Cosmetic Eye Brightener. If you're looking for a fun new gift to give your loved ones this holiday season, I promise they'll love you forever if you surprise them with a FabFitFun box, especially this one. I just can't get over how good it was. The throw blanket that I got is now my snuggle up with a glass of wine and watch Investigation Discovery go-to blanket. It really has become your favorite thing in the entire apartment. I love that blanket. It's just so soft and it's beautifully made. I can't get over it. And John and I actually have both been using the hydrogel eye masks. You really like them. I confess, I have been using them. And I also steal the jade roller all the time. Yeah, you do. I'm sorry. (laughs) I still can't believe that they put six treatments in the bag for the hydrogel eye masks. That was pretty incredible. And it's perfect for under eye puffiness. And on top of that, I got a beautiful lipstick and a silver necklace with a circle pendant. And that jade roller that John was just talking about is great. I've always wanted one. They It says that they boost blood circulation and reduce under eye swelling. And they just help products absorb better into your skin. Products like the Ahava Hydration Mask, which we got as well, which is so incredible. Especially in the wintertime, my face gets so dry. And I put that on and I'm just good to go. No more like flakiness under my makeup, which is so gross. It really was a box of endless treasures, and I can't sing its praises enough. This box has a retail value of $298 to $336, depending on the choices that you are given. And I got it all for $49.99. This subscription service is amazing for discovering new brands that will easily become staples in your own home. Remember, you will always get full-size products of everything in your FabFitFun box, whether the product is for fashion, beauty, home, or fitness and wellness. You can get all of these great products and more when you sign up for FabFitFun today. FabFitFun boxes make amazing gifts for the holidays. Use our code TCC to get $10 off your first box. Go to fabfitfun.com to sign up and start getting the box for a life well lived. Again, use promo code TCC to get $10 off your first box. That's over $200 for only $39.99. Again, that's fabfitfun.com and the code TCC. Please check it out this holiday season. All right, let's get back to the show. At Pacific Secondary, the two boys, using Wellwood's wit and Moffat's size, attracted a small group of friends that looked to the two for everything from advice to protection. One of the people in this group was Kimberly Proctor. 
Proctor was also 16 years old. She was the daughter of middle-class parents, her mom being a manager at the local Walmart and her father being a diesel mechanic. They loved Kim. They called her their baby New Year because she was born on January 1st, 1992. That'd be really fun. I, yes, I, well, I guess I'm saying this because I'm not a mother yet. I'd be really excited, but then I'd be like, I get to drink on New Year's. I see what you're saying. <laughs> I, I, that, I get to have, I need that glass of wine. There's definitely a problem there, yeah. Yeah, I know. I probably, that means I'm not ready for kids yet because that's my thought. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Kim was described as a trusting and loving girl by her parents. She loved animals and had lizards, rabbits, mice, and hamsters at her home. Kim's early life was heartbreaking. She was bullied in public school. Like I said before, she loved animals, cats in particular. So she liked cats so much that she wore cat ears to school while she was in elementary school and also middle school. And this was before it was like a weird cool thing because ariana grande does it you know what i mean yeah i've seen girls in the middle school wear it but it's like because they like ariana grande and it's just kind of like is that really a thing though like do they really do that i've seen girls do it in the middle school yeah (laughs) i just keep walking i walk right oh i hate walking through the middle school hallway okay it's smelly loud everyone's pushing i need my high school hallway our middle school and high school are combined so it's just when I have to go through a middle school hallway, I'm like, oh, I go as fast as I can. You're like the <laughs> swift navigator. I the try to be. It's kind of hard. <laughs> Kids, don't, they that's when they need deodorant, but they don't know they need deodorant. So it smells like tacos and it shouldn't. Tacos? Yeah, you'd be surprised what happens when when body odor sits for eight hours gotcha. in a classroom. I kind of don't want to know. You don't want to know. All right. Okay. <laughs> So when she was wearing these cat ears, the kids at her school teased her about this and they meowed at her in class. And this behavior is going to continue for years and go way beyond this. They are going to be really rude to her, call her names and make her feel like she just doesn't belong. And there was a lot of accounts of it wasn't just kids calling her names it was aggressive bullying that she went through for her elementary and middle school years that's really sad yeah her parents explained that she would often have panic attacks in school she would also have panic attacks because she didn't want to go to school because she knew the kids were going to be making fun of her again so on top of the bullying she had add and navigating through the hallways would overwhelm her and she was unable to cope The proctors tried to give their daughter medication, but they, and Kim herself, did not like what they called the zombie-like effects that it had on her. Now, I never met Kim Proctor, or her parents, but when I read the articles referring to this case, people say things like, her earnestness made her vulnerable. And when I read the transcripts of her conversations, it seems like for a 16-year-old girl, Kim Proctor was developmentally behind. She gets easily confused and sometimes only responds with um, cat ear symbols. 
um, very immature in her thought process and her understanding. Although we can make the argument that maybe she's just playing clueless and dumb, which unfortunately teenage girls do because they think it attracts boys. I don't know why, because I always tell my students you're attracting the wrong kind of boys with that. <laughs> nice but, advice. You're yeah, the- but it's inevitable. That's just what girls do. I've done it. But I don't think that's what it was. So I don't know what was truly going on. And I, and I don't want to say something that I don't know about. But from what I've seen, I think that Kim Proctor may have been on the spectrum, the autism spectrum. Okay. And I think that that may have aided in the, not aided, but caused the bullying was her inability to react in certain social situations. There was a certain social awkwardness with her that I've read through conversation and because I read through so many pages of her conversations with people, whether it was on World of Warcraft or through texting. And I don't want to make that assumption, but for 16-year-olds, the development in the speech patterns, and it was very, very low. So that's just what I might have seen. I never met her, so I can't say that. Sometimes you understand when you know somebody, but like as reading it, it's kind of hard to do. Right, and of course. So I don't know if that's true, but I'm just saying that I think Kim Proctor needed a lot more help than a public school could give her. And that's what her parents are going to think too. So the Proctors are going to begin to worry because of the bullying about Kim's safety and also her education. What kind of education is she getting when she's too worried to even go to school? So they pull her out of public school and they enroll her at Pacific Secondary so she could get the one-on-one attention she required. That was also another thing. They kept talking about her need for a one-to-one aid, which led me to believe that she quite possibly had comprehension issues. So let's fast forward to 2010. This little group that had been established by Wellwood and Moffitt has been together for a little over a year now. And when they're together, they smoke pot and they drink. And when they're all online with each other, that's when they truly become alive. So that's when you see the personalities come to life. In the digital world, they all flirt, hurt each other's feelings, ignore one person on purpose, or trick others by creating fake personas online. And it's just so crazy. You know what? It really is because all of that is true. Like It happens. It's almost as if you become the character that you've created. You want to be a different person and that's who they were online. Like I know. I I mean I can't speak on that really because I didn't do those things. Like I'm not really a leader I guess. So, But I knew so many people that were very shy in, in real life. But when they played World of Warcraft, they assumed like this leadership role. When, so like some of these people I knew in real life. So to see the change from their real world personality to, to how their they online. were in game, it was shocking actually. So like I could I can understand that part of it because mm-hmm. truly I know people that that's what happened to them. It's also a confidence you have when you're not face to face with someone. And that's what these people did. Um, these teenagers in this one friend group that they had. And this behavior is hurtful and it's confusing 
especially to teenage girls who are eager to be desired and accepted. And let us also add in the fact that all of these teens that are part of this group and acting this way online either have mental, social, emotional, or behavior disorders. So this is a disaster waiting to happen because it can cause them to react in ways that can't be predicted. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's pretty much a melting pot of like issues. <laughs> like yeah. they're just it's super unstable. It yeah, very. That's a very nice way of, you know, putting it. Putting it. Yes. Kim Proctor was happy though in early 2010. She had begun dating another teen within that group of friends. His name was Zach. He was really close friends with Cruz Wellwood. They enjoyed all playing WoW on the computer and To Kim, at this point, everything seemed like it was perfect. What she and the rest of their friends did not know was that at the same time, when everything was going great, Wellwood and Moffat were falling deeper into their interdependent relationship. When the two would hang out alone, they would watch really violent porn together. And they would fantasize about what it would be like to do that to another person. That's always, I've always been so grossed out by like, I don't know. It's weird to me. Why would you want to watch porn with your friends? I mean, I'm a, I don't, you know what I mean? I don't know. It just Listen, makes me feel weird. I, I'm telling you right now. I, I mean, there's people out there that have done it. That's fine. But I have been raised where that's like a no, no, like that's the bro code. You don't watch porn. Right. With another I, dude. <laughs> oh, like, God. it's just something that you just don't do. Like, all my friends, we, we've we never done that. I, yeah, it's a little I don't strange. Know. <laughs> but some. But they watched, they seemed to have an interest in the same type of porn it was. It was, they were basically watching snuff films is what it was. Well, we have to think it about it. It goes beyond the worlds of S&M. Well, we have to also think about it, though. Was Moffat really enjoying it? Or was he just really doing it to shadow... You know, his well, friend. Moffat definitely was enjoying it because later on, four girls are going to come forward and admit that they had sexual relationships with either Wellwood or Moffat during this time. And they told school officials that the boys had forced the girls to have what they described as rough, fast sex that they didn't want to have and that the boys had used bondage to do that. They also said that after the sex, the boys both would scream belittling insults at the girls. Now, this is something that the school will address later on, but you can see here that in no way was the school trying to control the drugs and sexual activity that was taking place amongst their student body of at-risk teenagers, which is pretty scary. Well, you have to think about it. There are three examples of what's in the school. Could you really imagine what else could be there? Like what other troubled Right, they should children? be. These students have more one-on-one time with teachers. The teachers should be more enlightened on what's going on with the student body if that ratio is a lot smaller. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, because there's more. wouldn't there be more teachers involved in yeah. the like daily day-to-day? Yes. Yeah, so I don't know. A few months into their dating, Zach and Kim are going to break up. Kim Proctor is devastated by this. The teenage girl is going to try and seek solace from her friends and try and get answers as to why this would happen. Why this would happen from Zach's two best friends, Cruz Wellwood and Cam Moffat. 
Over the next few weeks, a complicated relationship develops. Kim believes that she's caught in a love triangle, in which Moffat is obsessed with her. However, she only has feelings for Wellwood, who she thinks likes her back. However, in the boys' minds, they are playing a game with Kim Proctor. Well, I'm sorry, let me correct myself. I think from the transcripts that Moffat may have really liked her. But when he talks to Wellwood, he wants to impress him. So that's when he starts talking about doing terrible things to the young girl. To Wellwood, it is clear that women are objects and not people. I could debate with myself for a really long time about whether or not Wellwood is a psychopath or a sociopath, but I don't want to like bore you with that. And it, it comes down to whether or not you believe in the nature versus nurture and where he may fall amongst that spectrum. But we kind of want to talk about that later because don't forget his father raped a 16 year old girl. Well, he's been kind of, is it in his DNA? Right. He's kind of, he's also been surrounded by some craziness. Yes. So it doesn't help the situation either. No, it doesn't. But Wellwood does all the right things when it comes to girls. And at this point, he has two girlfriends. One in real life and one through WoW. World of Warcraft. Do people like when you call it WoW or no? Pretty much that's all you call it. Oh, okay. Like you would, like no one would ever be like, hey guys, do you want to go play World, World of Warcraft? Warcraft oh yeah, today? yeah, yeah. It's like shorter. you'd be like, hey guys, you want to go on WoW? Like, okay. That's how. I just is. didn't want to offend any WoWers. <laughs> I'm sure you're fine. <laughs> when he chats with both girls, he tells them that they have changed him and made him a better person and that it is the two of them against the world. And these girls just like soak it all up. However, he will turn around and at the same time as he's having these conversations with them, he's having conversations with Moffat about performing horrific acts on these girls. So he's just able to do that. And he clearly doesn't mean anything he's saying to them. It's all just part of his act and what he's doing. Okay, so let's take a break to hear from our second sponsor, Robin Hood. Robin Hood is an investing app that lets you sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos all commission-free. This company strives to make financial services work for everyone, not just the wealthy. This really is a non-intimidating way for stock market newcomers like ourselves to invest for the first time and with true confidence. The clear design of Robinhood also allows you to easily digest the well-presented data. Robinhood allows you to learn by doing. By using this app, you will get to learn how to invest as you build your portfolio over time. You can discover new stocks and track favorite companies with a created personalized newsfeed. The custom notifications that come in for price movement are so helpful. They will allow you to never miss the right moment to invest. Other brokerages would charge up to $10 for every trade you make, but not Robinhood. Robinhood doesn't charge commission fees. You can trade stocks and keep all of your profits. Robinhood is giving listeners of True Crime Couple free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help build your portfolio. Sign up at tccouple.robinhood.com. That's tccouple, 
www.robinhood.com to get your free stock today. All right, guys, let's get back to the show. So where we left off, Kim Proctor doesn't even know that she's in the middle of a very dangerous game between two unstable boys. During one of their conversations, Wellwood is going to text Kim saying, I can't lie to you. It makes me feel too guilty. Normally I can, dot, dot, dot. You make me feel very, dot, 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 honest for some reason. I just had to include that for the drama. Kim replied with a laugh and a confused face. Ha ha, she wrote. Thanks, I guess. Online, they began sharing the insecurities that they couldn't in person. Kim told Wellwood that she felt short and pudgy. You're beautiful the way you are, he reassures her. When Kim tried to joke about Wellwood's old school nickname, the Spaz, he said that the wounds ran deeper than she thought. It wasn't a nickname. It was an insult, he explained. I had huge people issues. I still do, but now I know how people work and what makes them tick. So it's easy enough to put on a mask and play pretend. Isn't that so interesting? It's very interesting, and it just shows you that he's gone so that, out of his way. That's what makes me think. I mean, it's, you could debate forever whether this kid is a sociopath or a, or a psychopath, but his him conceptually knowing that he's putting on a mask to enter the world is interesting. And I feel like we'll never be able to truly know through his crime whether he is or not, because he only was able to murder one person. But I think over time, with his developed pattern, it would have been easier to distinguish. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I do know what you mean. It's kind of... It's just interesting how he he's going out of his way to kind of lure her in. I mean, that's what they do, but it's just... She, he's, he's telling her, like, to her I'm face. Da- he's saying, I'm dangerous. Yes. Back away. Like, that's the interesting part. But that's part. not how she is in- going to interpret it. No. Because... I don't think she has the capability to interpret that. I agree with that. But, like, isn't that funny, though? It's very rare that you come across that where you're telling someone, hey, I'm dangerous. Yeah. Look at me. Because like, he, even, he even says to her, I have a history of being violent and explosive. And all she replies back to him is LOL. And one day he's going to say, you're too good, Kim. You trust in people too much. These are all red flags coming up. Offline, Wellwood and Moffat's lives are growing increasingly dark. They were often high. They were doing more and more drugs. They experimented with... uh, It was drinking blood and what was only described as bodily fluids. Do I know what those bodily fluids are? No. I kind of don't want to. Do I want to? No. Let's just leave it... At bodily fluids. Yeah. Yeah. Friends reported hearing Moffat screaming at his family home. He was always fighting with his parents. And Wellwood, who was still living alone with his mother, was living under no supervision at all because his mom had to work all the time. They continued to visit sadistic porn sites. And in their frequent chats with each other online, they continued to fantasize about rape and bondage. It was disgusting reading those chats, by the way. So gross. 
The boys begin to escalate in the texts that they are sending to Kim. She stops talking to the boys for a few days after they tell her that they want to give her... Okay, this is so gross. I'm sorry for repeating this out loud. They tell her that they want to give her cream-filled lollipops that last all night. Yeah. When Kim... Yeah. When Kim didn't know how to respond to that, Moffat is going to say to her in all caps that she has death urine on her, which didn't really make sense, but what are you going to do? And that she is the one who's going to die next. And the whole thing didn't really make a lot of sense, and it seemed to be part of an inside understanding, like that death urine thing, well, would thought was hysterical, but like we don't get it. So I think it was an inside belief, like I think it was an inside I want to say joke and inside understanding that the two had. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, but nonetheless, this made Kim stop talking to the boys for a few days. But then she had this conversation with Wellwood after he texts her hello a few days later. So Kim says, what do you want? And Wellwood says, what are you doing tomorrow? She replies, nothing other than babysitting at three. I'm bored and was looking for someone to chill with today. I wanted to apologize, Wellwood says back. Oh, says Kim. He replies, I have some things I'd rather tell you in person about the entire Zach fiasco. About the entire Zach fiasco. Kim replies, this is sudden and I can't help but wonder why. I don't want to talk about Zach. Then she puts cat um, ear like emoji things. I think that right now in this spot, Wellwood knows that he had, he, it's like his desperate pull to get her back is I want to talk about Zach because that's what she needed him for in the beginning. So that was his pull to get her back. In. Right. He knows exactly what to pull. Yeah. To that's, make people That was do the perfect string. Yeah. So Cruz says, Zach and I aren't close as we used to be, but I feel you deserve an explanation. Don't worry, it's not much. It's more about why Cam and me and everyone was so mean. Then Kim is going to say, whatever happened, you deserve nothing. You kill your rabbit, ha ha. That's what Kim says back. And I don't understand what that reference was to. I think that was something that happened in person. Because he doesn't say what, he just says, that's what I wanted to talk to you about. So I was wondering if... You deserve nothing. You kill your rabbit. Maybe if they got into a fight about killing an animal because Kim was a big animal lover. I don't know. That Do they part, have a rabbit? She does, but he doesn't. That part is very unclear as to what so happened. So Kim's telling him to kill his rabbit. No, no, no. Honey, I don't know what rabbit they're talking about. <laughs> I think that... Well, you're very lost on this conversation. I am. It seems, from what I can infer... That he might have been talking about killing an animal and she got upset about it because she likes animals. Not that it was necessarily one of their pets. The reason why, because I'm, I'm trying to figure it out, this is just uh, a wild guess. But for people who don't play WoW, there is, like when you go into like the forest areas, there's like these little critters. They call Like it's classified as a critter and there's rabbits and deer and a bunch of animals. And like you could just walk up to them. And, like, hit them once and they'll just die. 
maybe. So like maybe that has to do because it's like a it's a joke in the game. Like the critters could just run up and just kill like a bunch of them. Oh maybe. Maybe or maybe not. But well, that's a I'd great insight. Yeah. Thanks, our wow expert. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> then Kim is gonna say back. I gotta say, when I saw your text, I was shocked and confused. Cruz says, but like I said, I'd rather talk in person. I can meet you tomorrow earlier than babysitting and talk it over over a couple bowls. So to smoke pot. Kim says, sure. Kim asked Wellwood to call her. He secretly patched Cam in to eavesdrop on the call. As Wellwood and Kim talked, Wellwood and Moffat are going to instant message each other. And it is through this that their fantasies are coming to life. As Wellwood and Kim are talking on the phone, Wellwood's typing to Moffat, I'm going to rip her nose ring out and burn it. Burn her flesh in all capitals. Moffat then suggests, why not keep her bound and alive? The response was, that's what I'm going to do, but I need to get her stoned first and possibly seduce her. And then Moffat says, LOL, try quickly. So the morning of the phone conversation that took place was a good one for Kim Proctor. When she said goodbye to her mother, who was leaving for work, the two had a conversation about how proud her mother was of her. They had recently learned that Kim would have enough credits to graduate from Pacific Secondary on time, and that after graduation, she wanted to spend time volunteering at a local wild animal rehabilitation center called Wild Ark. Another factor that came together for me to think that with her not being capable of holding a job and not going to school, that maybe she wasn't capable of it, of getting a higher education. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I see what you're saying. Kim's mother kissed her goodbye and told her daughter to sleep in because she didn't have any classes. But Kim didn't sleep in. She threw a black hoodie and jeans on and headed towards the town's bus exchange to go to Wellwood's house. Wellwood and Moffat met her around 10.30 a.m. at the bus stop. They had with them camp fuel that they had just bought at a nearby store. The three friends chatted about the people they knew from WoW as they walked towards Cruz Wellwood's small bungalow house on Happy Valley Road. Before the boys met Kim, they decided that they were going to attack her when Wellwood used the code phrase that they had planned. And this code phrase was, I think I'm going to make some KD, which I guess that's what kids say in Canada when they say they're about to make Kraft macaroni and cheese. They have slang for macaroni and cheese. Yeah, they do. Well, craft macaroni and cheese. <laughs> I like it, though. It's the cheesiest. Which is false. It's not the cheesiest. It's totally not. It's the opposite. So within a few minutes of walking in the door, the code phrase was said. The boys hit Kim until she fell to the ground. And then they began to stomp on her. When they were done with the beating, they bound her hands and ankles together. Wellwood put a sock in her mouth and put duct tape over it to keep it in place because Kim was pleading with them to stop hurting her. She kept apologizing to them for whatever she did wrong. And over the next few hours, the two boys would beat and rape the 16-year-old girl until she finally suffocated while trying to scream. After her death, Wellwood and Moffat 
mutilated the girl's body with a knife. They then committed acts of necrophilia on her body using inanimate objects, one of them being a lollipop stick. That goes back to the conversation they had. Yep. Then the two finally decide that they're done. And they move Kim's body to a freezer in the garage of the house. At some point during the attack, or after the death of Kim, Wellwood tried to create an alibi for himself. He sent an instant message to Kim, and it read, Hey, I thought you had babysitting. Did you finish early? But as he was sending that message, another one popped up. It was another friend from their friend group, and the boy who he was talking to suspected that his father, who was an alcoholic, desperate for something to drink, drank rubbing alcohol. He was asking Wellwood's advice. What should he do? But Wellwood didn't answer right away. He finally responded eight minutes after the initial message was sent to him, and he said, Sorry, the freezer was jumping around. Isn't that sick? That's weird. It also shows his disconnect with what happened. What like, how he can just you be did. Fine? Yeah, like, how could you be He's fine? He's 100% fine. Nothing has phased him about this. That's insanity. It's terrifying. The two spent the rest of the night smoking and drinking and reliving the crime. At one point during the night, Moffat texted his ex-girlfriend, one of the girls who would later come forward and admit that she was sexually abused by Moffat. He asked her if she wanted to come over and party. She, thank God, refused the invitation. Now, this is a good question. She could have died. She probably would have died if she went. Yeah, I think they would have done it again. I think they would have too. Mm-hmm. Because if they... I feel like once you do that, it's so easy for you to do it again. Especially to cross if you're, that boundary Exactly, again. especially if you're like them. Yeah, especially right after it happened, the adrenaline is still high. The two boys got up the next morning with the intention of taking care of Kim Proctor's body. They placed her in a hockey bag and boarded a bus for Galloping Goose Trail. And that's where the kids from Pacific Secondary went to smoke pot. They walked under a bridge that they usually went to. And then, using the fuel that they had picked up right before they met up with Kim, they ignited the hockey bag that contained her body. Wow, I mean, they're really just, like, they're pulling out Callous. all the stops. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I mean, Jesus. It's pretty rough. That's rough. All right, so let's take a break here to hear from our final sponsor, Vistaprint. So this year, we decided to not leave our holiday cards to the last minute, like we always do. So we went to Vistaprint to order custom cards, and it's so easy to make something that I know that our friends and family are going to love. I honestly can't wait for people to see them and hang them up for the season. We picked the nice black and white design to celebrate this upcoming new year, the year that we're going to be getting married. But no matter where you'll be this holiday season, whether it's skiing the slopes, basking on beaches, or hunkering down at home with your loved ones, nothing says happy holidays like custom cards, calendars, and photo gifts. From Vistaprint. When you open a card or calendar and see your friends and family smiling back at you, it just feels like holiday time. It also feels like the person cares because they took time to make it special. But it doesn't actually take much time at all. First, you just pick a shape 
like a square, rounded corners, folded or flat, then you choose one of Vistaprint's gorgeous designs. You can put your favorite pictures on most of them, or even upload a great shot right from your phone. Next, you just have to figure out how much you need and order them, and they'll come in with plenty of time for the holidays. Vistaprint has hundreds of card designs, from timeless classics to the latest trends. They also have custom calendars for a year worth of memories. All custom cards and calendars are 50% off right now. You can also upload your favorite photo right from your phone and save on mugs, canvases, or other photo gifts. Your satisfaction is 100% guaranteed, or they'll make it right, either by reprinting your order or offering a refund. So get merry, get jolly, get 50% off all holiday cards and calendars. Plus, save on other photo gifts at vistaprint.com. Just enter promo code TCCHOLIDAY, no space. That's vistaprint.com, promo code TCCHOLIDAY. Offer valid until January 31st, 2019. All right, let's get back to this episode. So while Kim's body burned beneath a bridge, not even 12 hours after she arrived at Wellwood's house, Law enforcement was already looking for the young girl. Kim's mother, Lucy Proctor, had already reported her missing. She knew something was wrong when she tried to call her daughter that afternoon and the phone went immediately to voicemail. She immediately called police. Friends, family, and law enforcement officers immediately began looking for Kim, which was a, it was a pretty tremendous immediate response which is great because those first 48 hours, if she's just missing, are so important. As people searched the town, the two boys who were responsible for her disappearance went on with their lives as if nothing had changed. After the burning of the body, Wellwood spent the day with his girlfriend, and Moffat had lunch with his grandmother, who afterwards bought him a video game. However, the boys were not as good at this whole situation and covering their tracks as they thought they were. By 7 p.m. on the same day they left the body, a boy who went on the trail to smoke found the burnt bag and reported it to police. The police used dental records to confirm that these were the remains of Kim Proctor. Law enforcement officials were taking this crime extremely seriously. The Vancouver Island Major Crime Unit and Royal Canadian Mounted Police placed 40 officers on a task force which was sent out to investigate the murder. Interestingly enough, the digital world that fostered the committing of this crime would also aid in the solving of it. The head of the task force is going to believe that when a teen is murdered, access to their online world is invaluable. It is true When teens are online, they seem to feel as if there's no repercussions and that no one can see what they do. Investigators set up a memorial Facebook page for Kim Proctor. And don't forget, it's 2010, so Facebook is massive and everybody has one. Well, kids her age. And all they have to do now is sit back. They watched all of her friends leave messages and exchange theories about what could have happened to her and who could have done this. Police choose to monitor those who frequent the page and those who contribute to it. 
It was this and a number of outbursts at school in which Wellwood and Moffat would scream at everyone at Pacific Secondary, who would bring up Kim, that put them under the watchful eye of law enforcement. They said things like, I'm glad she's dead. I hated her. Get over it. She's dead. Who gives a shit? So police began monitoring them and slowly gathering evidence. With Kim's death consuming the town and the local news, Wellwood became increasingly paranoid about leaving any more evidence online. But he couldn't resist the urge to share his story with someone he trusted. He was afraid of using MSN Messenger, but he thought that his chat logs in World of Warcraft were less likely to be saved. So on March 23, 2010, five days after Kim's murder, he told his gamer girlfriend from Halifax that he had something urgent to tell her. But he needed to do it over World of Warcraft instead of MSN Messenger. Once inside World of Warcraft, he confessed to the crime. Back on MSN, he sent her links to the news reports as backup. The girl was shocked, but she eventually replied in a way he no doubt expected her to. I'll always be here, no matter what you do, she wrote. He conditioned her. Which is crazy. Yeah. That's why I told you, Wellwood said. No matter how things turn out, I'll make it up to you somehow, one day. According to what the Halifax girlfriend told police, obviously, she was like, let me get the F out of here, like, right now. Moffat came into the World of Warcraft chat, confirming... Wellwood's account. What about her family and her friends and all of those lives that you have ruined? She asked Moffat. No, I don't feel bad for them, he replied. Just don't ever do it again, she said to Wellwood on MSN. I promise, Wellwood replied. I have no desire to. And then, in a sudden shift of focus, he told her that he felt like playing Pokemon again because he's really had nostalgia for a few months about it. So he has no remorse whatsoever about this. No, not at all. It's like, I mean, who doesn't like to go a little nostalgic with some Pokemon? But after talking (laughs) about that, that's crazy. Right. It's it's the... It's just going from one extreme to the next. Yeah, Yeah, of course. I am showing my inner nerd so hard in this episode. Yeah, I know. Are you a little embarrassed? Uh, Um, No, I think... Be proud. I think everybody likes me. You gotta be Pokemon proud. You gotta do what you gotta do sometimes. Anyway, so Wellwood and Moffat also chatted on MSN Messenger about the murder. On March 25th, Moffat said to Wellwood, since we killed that bitch, it wasn't hard. We should do it again. These two would have eventually committed the same crime again. What, Definitely. If not together, solo, some something would have happened. Well, I don't think they would have done it solo. I don't think... I don't think... I think they needed each other. They do. You're because right. Because it's what pushes them to actually do it. Like, they give each other the fuel to... Right. I completely know. agree. Yeah, they wouldn't have done it by themselves. So, after this, the boys were brought in for questioning. Because that was all being monitored. So, guess what? Those WoW chats do get saved. Oh, they absolutely do. Like, I know yeah. for a fact, like, they have databases where they hold all, all the chat. All that stuff, yep. At any given time. So they said that they had seen her the morning of, but that she only stayed for a little bit and then she had to go leave for school. 
but law enforcement knew this wasn't true because Kim didn't have school that day. The police did not have enough evidence to hold the boys, but now that they had admitted that they saw her on the day that she went missing, they were able to get a new warrant to not only monitor their online conversations, but also bug their homes and places the teens usually hung out. Wow. Yeah. So they bugged the homes of the boys and a gazebo where they usually smoked. Through forensic analysis of the boys' computers, cell phones, and their dug-up Google and Wikipedia searches, as well as old transcripts of texts and instant messages, in total, the Tech Crimes Unit amassed the equivalent of 1.4 billion sheets of paper. Isn't that insane? That is insane. But you got to understand that these kids were living on the internet. Yes. I mean, that's what they were doing, Mm -hmm. you know? So, yeah. What else do you expect? Yeah. After submitting this to the courts, they had warrants issued for the arrest of the two boys. When questioned about the murder... Moffitt was smiling and excited when describing the murders. A real adrenaline rush, she said. If you want to watch the tape, it's online, but the audio's terrible, so we didn't really want to play it for you. And it's really the smiling that's disturbing. You kind of can't tell from his speech pattern, but he's smiling the entire time he's talking to police. It's disgusting. The boys pled guilty and were sentenced to life in prison, without the possibility of parole for 10 years. During his trial, Wellwood's lawyer read a letter from Wellwood during his closing statements. The one part that stood out to me was when he said, As a child, I hated my father for what he had done. I felt I was less than him, and now I find that I've become a worse man. It was determined because of a psychological evaluation, which suggested a high probability of recidivism. Wellwood was found to be a sexual sadist of the rarest kind, especially for someone so young, a twisted kid who, against enormous odds, found understanding in another disturbed boy, and Moffat, a boy with no remorse, and also a high recidivism rate as well. In the adult program, the boys will go through the Sexual Offender Treatment Program, which includes chemical castration, which is a controversial drug treatment plan used in Canada and other countries. It is used in the United States as well to reduce the likelihood of repeating sexual crimes. So it just makes you unable to use your sexual organs, basically. But um, it's very controversial as to whether or not this should take place. Langford residents remained shaken that such killers could somehow grow up in such a small community and go unnoticed. Pacific Secondary School, which Kim and her killers attended, has introduced a violence threat protocol in the wake of the crime. This allows the police, the school, and social service agencies to share information on students who are perceived as a threat, so nothing like this could ever happen again. But... This is something that is just extremely sad that it took place, but this was a brewing storm for years. Um, It also brings up a pretty good conversation about nature versus nurture. And interestingly enough, when I was doing my research, I came upon an article that said Wellwood's father, you know how he got a life sentence for rape? Yeah. 
The reason why he got that life sentence was because that was his second offense. While he was out on parole, he attacked another girl and choked her and tried to kill her during a rape. So that's why he did get that life sentence without the possibility of parole for 15 years. But he escaped from jail. No way. Yeah. On, uh, April, in April of 2017, he escaped from jail, but he was found a few days later. So I just thought that was pretty crazy. I mean, so just kind of, and I guess it runs in yeah. his genes, I guess, you know? Yeah. Wellwood doesn't really have a conversation with his father, but it was so hard for me to understand whether this is a gene thing, but I think it's also, he had no contact with his father, so he developed this. And on another podcast that I listened to, Real Crime Profile, with Laura Richards and Jim Clemente, and they're analysts who kind of talk about this, and I felt like it was said perfectly on one of their episodes. I think it was the one they were talking about, Dirty John, but which is so good on Bravo, by the way. Oh my God, I'm loving it. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting into it I'm too. making John watch it. Yeah. So um, I think it was Jim Clemente who said that it's like an analogy of a shooter. So his genes put the gun in his hand. His environment aimed it, but it's his personality that pulled the trigger. Yeah, and I, mean, I, I could see that. I think that because the gun could have been put in anyone's hand. That could have been your father. That could have been my father. Yeah. But our environment and our thought process is what either makes it happen or makes it doesn't happen. And I just think that was like kind of the perfect way to put it because there never will be an answer with this nature versus nurture debate. I think it'll always be up in the air, but to me, a combination of the two. I mean, I agree with you. I think they both play a part in what can happen when the two are combined, you know? It's just the way, it, you know, it could be from... Just knowing the fact that his father did this. So the could capabilities have led to it. there. Yeah, of course. Like, you know, seeing his father go away for such an act like that. Just outside sources, the internet, maybe the games that he was playing. Like, they're all factors. Right. So. Yeah, no, I completely agree. This crime was horrific. And it really is so great that they were dumb enough to be talking about it over the internet before and after the crime was committed and they were stopped because I think if these two boys weren't stopped that this would have happened to somebody else and quite possibly could have happened to Moffat's ex-girlfriend that day so absolutely listen like we always say like you know when you're on the internet and you're playing games with people you then this is where it comes down to they have this false sense of security because people think they have like you know online muscles you know they can say things and it doesn't matter because they're you know they're not in front of someone's face. So it's just they had that false sense of security. But it worked out. It worked out because we got them into right. the prison. So Yeah. All right, guys. Thanks so much for joining us for episode 40. Please reach out to us and tell us what you think about this one. I hope that you enjoyed it. And again, if you could leave us reviews on iTunes or you can check out some of the great deals that our sponsors have, that would be amazing. And if you're feeling super generous, you can donate to our Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash truecrimecouple. And this weekend, we're going to have another episode up on Patreon. And we're kind of continuing the gamer murdering theme with a Dungeons and Dragons murder on Patreon. Ooh, Dungeons and Dragons? Yes. 
Cool. All right. So thanks so much, guys, and we'll see you next week. Bye, guys.